Father, thank you. You're such a great God, Father. We thank you so much that you're the Lord of the weather, the wind and the rain. You are the Lord of all. We just declare your supremacy, your majesty. Lord, I want to declare your uprightness and your integrity this morning because you are, there's no shadow of turning in you. You're always the same. You're always the same. You're just always the same towards us. Thank you that you don't wake up one morning and think you don't like us very much. But Father, you're always the same. Your immutability is our strength and stay, that you're always exactly like this. So Father, I want to bless you, praise you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Just thank you, thank you. We don't understand the Trinity, but we know that you are one and yet three persons. We just, ah, it's too big for us. So Father, this morning, I pray that you will... Uh, give clarity to what I think you've given me this morning to help us to understand the way you think, the way you look at things and to help us Father to understand how you behold us as we behold you Father in Jesus name Amen So day two, welcome must be the 15th of January probably uh, winter school title was Beholding and Becoming and God suddenly turned it round. I'm wanting to talk on Beholding and Becoming Him, Him and He turned it round to His Beholding Us and that is why the showbread and the candlestick are in here um, because anybody, I mean I'm sure you do, know about the typology in the Old Testament are familiar with the word typology? Yes? Anybody not? No? Okay. Typology is type of. So where you've got the set out of the tabernacle, you've got a type of the Christian walk. So there was a big fence around the tabernacle in the wilderness, six or seven feet high, so those on the outside could not see what was going on on the inside. Uh, and they would enter through this end here, it's, it was an oblong, this is not to scale. And you proceeded through the uh, brazen altar where you gave your offering, the laver where you washed, into the holy place where you found the candlestick, the showbread, uh, which is called the bread of the presence, and the altar of incense. You then faced with the curtain, the four inch thick curtain, uh, into the most holy place where only the, the priest went on the day of atonement you know with the bells round his bottom there and the rope on his leg in case the sacrifice wasn't acceptable and in there was just the Ark of the Covenant uh, which held I think Aaron's rod that budded and fruited that the tablets uh, of, sto of, of the, of the uh, Ten Commandments and the manna that was in, in there so that was representative of something else so when we talk about typology, we're talking about a representation of something else. So there are many representations we could use for the candlestick and the bread. Um, the most frequently used is that the candlestick in the holy place is Christ, the light of the world, um, and shine, the church, sorry, the church that is, is the light now that Jesus has gone, shining on the bread, the, which is Jesus. Um, that is the most often used one. Um, so that is the typology. So in our Christian walk, we come into the Christian walk and we're immediately in the outside court, if you like, the outside court of the tabernacle. Many Christians stay on that outside thing. They never actually make it into the most holy place, but the way is open for us to come into that holy place. So we come in and we present our bodies a living sacrifice on the altar. We're then washed by, by the laver, which is that round thing. And I think it was held up by ten bulls, bronze bulls. It was, a, it was a beautiful thing. By the water of the word. Then we go in to the holy place. And the way, now the curtain was ripped, wasn't it, from top to bottom. So the way is open for us to go into the most holy place, into his face, to see him. But what he wanted to, to, I believe, speak about this morning um, was, it's the functions of the soul, really. 
you know we were talking about spirit soul and body yesterday just briefly and the soul is your mind and your emotions and your will um, and specifically um, he wants to liken uh, I believe the bread there to our will and the light is that God is always constantly looking at the Christian's will that's what he's looking at so we've looked at it um, as being the sole function of the church is to cast life on the bread of life which is there the candlestick being um, a type of church and that and for this representation that's the table of showbread uh, we haven't got the altar of incense which was I believe right up against the curtain but as I said I did this in a hurry this morning so we'll deal with this table of showbread first and the showbread was 12 lo loaves of bread um, all representing one each of the tribes the 12 tribes which incidentally you know were laid out in the shape of a cross when they camped with the tabernacle in the middle if you could see it from above you'd see them like that it's type again typology again that's what we mean by typology all of it in the Old Testament points to Jesus it's a type, type of Christ um, so the table of showbread there it was and it was 12 loaves of bread that were break, baked once a week it has this <coughs> somewhat older than that and put on the table and in the Hebrew it's called the lepenapanim which is L-E-P-E-N new word a, a uh, panim P-A-N-E-E-M or the bread of the face and that it just does something to me when I think of it as being the bread of the face literally the bread of the face and it was the bread that was always set out before the face of God and the implication is that God continually looked down on those twelve loaves placed there on that beautiful golden table and the table had a crown round about it on the edge it had a crown about an inch and a half high to stop the bread falling on the floor it was never allowed to fall off and become desecrated by falling onto the ground. So if we take that as representing the will, when we get into the holy place, the first thing that has to be dealt with is our will. And bread goes through two main processes, you will begin to wince. It is ground and it is baked. And the will of the believer has to be ground and baked, has to be broken up and it has to be passed through the fire of testing. Then the, the will that has been broken and purified in testing becomes the bread that is set upon the table before the face of God. And as I say, I knew when God I don't know, 12 months ago, two years ago, said to us to put the bread in the hallway. The signification was that his eyes were always on this place, always on our hearts, what we're doing in this house, always on the hearts of those that come in through the door. That's what it's about. We call it our little uh, Israel corner, but actually it's much, much more than that. So he's always looking at one thing in my life, and it's my will. And the question is today, is, is my will his will? Do I say, as Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done? Because 24-7 my will is actually set out before him, and that is actually the food that I offer God. I've got nothing else to give him that he needs from me, he can get anything else he needs or wants without me. We've been talking about the magnificence and the size of God and how he really does not need any help from us. The only thing we have to offer him is our willingness. And he can't have that unless I give it to him because he made us that way. So that is actually my offering. Day and night, continually, before God, my will is yours, Lord. So it's been ground, and all that selfishness has been ground out. It's been baked and it's been tested. I've been in situation after situation where I had to choose God's will or my will. It happens a lot in ministry. 
a lot when you're dealing with obstinate, awkward, difficult people and you want to actually drop into a carnal moment. But I choose to submit myself to the Lord and out comes what the Holy Spirit wants to say. I'm ever so glad to say. When it's got too hard for me, I've actually just either closed the interview or exited for a minute while I could get a grip of myself. Because I've got an old nature like anybody else that needs to be brought into line. And, and if you want to deal with your old nature, go into ministry. Ever such a good place to get dealt with. So when it's been ground and baked, it's fit to put before God. And it has to stay there day and night. Not only that, but the yielded will becomes God's will, and God's will is our food. When Jesus met the woman at the well, he was tired and he was hungry, do you remember? And he sent the disciples into the city to get bread. And while they were away, he talked to the woman of Samaria. And when he came, they came back, he said, I'm not hungry. My food is to do the will of my Father. Do you remember that one? So the yielded will is what you offer God, but it's also what feeds you to do the will of God is your food. It's my meat and drink to do what he wants. It gives you divine, supernatural strength. When you're doing the will of God, you have supernatural strength. That is what happens when you're in his will, doing what he wants. Think of Elijah picking up his skirts and running before Ahab's chariot, before the rain came. Totally supernatural, went like the wind. So you consider again, Jesus is, is our uh, pattern. He was actually physically tired and hungry. But he, when he ministered to that Samaritan woman, it fed him, it restored him. And that is not the feel-good factor, which is what your soul will feed on. We do have to examine our motives for doing things so that we're not actually in feel-goods. Because feel-good is your soul. Mm -hmm. People say to me, do you love your ministry? Do you? Well, no, that doesn't come into it. I have no feelings about it at all. Because I'm serving the Lord. I'm just doing what he says and my own choices don't come into it. I yielded my will to him years ago because having my own free will got me into just big trouble and I decided that I'd give my choices over to him because left to my own devices I'd go all over the place so uh, I gave him it and he's got it like that and I said to him don't show me it, it might jump out because <laughs> he's got it in there so every morning uh, I do uh, I think it's um, Hebrews or Romans 12.1 Present your bodies therefore a living sacrifice on the altar holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service so you climb up on that altar and you present your body a living sacrifice every morning and then you're ready to go daily so the one thing that he won't take from me is my free will he will not take that away and he doesn't need my cleverness. He doesn't need my gifts. He doesn't need me to heal the sick. He can do it a whole lot better without me. The only thing I have to offer God, put on that table exposed before him, is my will. That's all I've got that is of any use to him. So somebody once said, when I was a young Christian, said, uh, here I am, that's all I've got, but you, you, know, you can have what I have, what I have. So he knows when you're going to go back into self-will and self-pleasing and stubbornness and rebellion and it's all there but what I'm doing this for is so that you might picture that before the face of God day and night is your will and that is not a condemnation don't forget the table's got a crown around it because when your will is yielded you're a victor you're living and reigning in life with Christ with a yielded will and when you have your will yielded like that, the table of showbread and the yielded will, comes then the illuminated mind. Because the seven branched candlestick speaks of oil and light. And remember, I think we did look, I 
think it was yesterday, and maybe it wasn't in this, uh, we looked at um, Isaiah 11 about the seven spirits of God there, spirit of wisdom and revelation, of knowledge and fear of the Lord, all those things which come with the Holy Spirit. And so you begin to get the mind of Christ. That is what happens when your will is yielded, your mind becomes illuminated. When you are living in the place of worshipping God, that is where the revelation comes. You don't get revelation into your soul, you get it into your spirit from a constant place of worshipping. That's why the Lord wants to bring us into the place where we're living in our spirit, not in our soul. Um, because as we'll see on Thursday if we get there, that living in our soul and, and our emotions means that we are, we're like this all the time. This is my little weeble. We're wobbling about. The only thing about that weeble is that he writes himself. But we don't want to be tossed around to and fro, do we? We want to grow up. So I just want to have a quick look at Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. Did we, we didn't touch it yesterday, did we? It must have been the Beatitudes last week. No, our echo answers. No answer. No, it wasn't yesterday, was it? No. And this is the... Hazar uh, 11, 2 and 3 and this is the Holy Spirit that indwells all of us the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the Spirit of counsel and might the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord you see they come in pairs and the seven branches candlestick the central um, one is the Spirit the, of the Lord and out of that comes wisdom and understanding counsel and might knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it, that again the fear of the Lord is cropping up. Because without that, uh, we're actually not going to get very far because um, we need a reverent respect and awe of God. I always liken it to if uh, your father was the executive director of a huge global company. Um, he's your daddy. When he's at home, you can run and jump on his lap, play with his hair, fiddle about with his ringlets but when he's sitting in a board meeting if you charged in like that and sat on his lap that would be a different matter you would then have to come in with the reverent respect as befitted his position as, as the head of this huge company so you've got those two relationships the honour and the respect of the Lord um, So really, um, we're obligated to put off the old way of life and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And as I said, the candlestick filled with oil is the type of renewing of the spirit of your mind. Letting the Holy Spirit move in and take control of your thinking. And there's one thing we need to learn, that the more you have of the Holy Spirit, the more you'll have of the fear of the Lord. Even uh, Jesus was made quick of understanding in the fear of the Lord. The Hebrew is literally made him quick of scent. He had a nose that could smell out the wolf. And anyone in leadership needs a keen sense of smell. Uh, it's a spiritual sense which isn't confined to eyesight and hearing. This is what the shepherd must have when the wolf comes amongst the sheep. The wolf looks like a sheep but he smells like a wolf. So if you go by your eyes or your ears, you'll say, that's a sheep. But when you are quick of scent in the fear of the Lord, you dog nose, as we say in this house, a wolf. It's the wolf. It's the wolf. It's the outworking of the infilling of the Holy Spirit that you are quick of understanding in the fear of the Lord. And it's the essence of receiving things from God. The Holy Spirit is the administrator of the total riches of heaven. And if you snub the Holy Spirit, you'll end up a spiritual beggar. If you go one way and the Holy Spirit goes the other, guess who's going to lose? <laughs> we don't want to be silly, do we? It's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
the mind that is illuminated is reverent, sensitive and responsive. And it's one of our steps into the way, into the holiest, the holy of holies, the most holy place. We can come into the presence of the Lord any time because the way is open. But as we'll see when we look at sonship and servanthood and friendship, there are degrees in these things. Sonship is given. Servanthood we work into, but friendship is earned. There are no casual friends in the kingdom, and we will see that. It is earned by excellency of service to the king. So, as you obey him, as the Holy Spirit asks things of you, you are coming into what he desires, which is a closer and closer walk with him, so that you may hear and obey. I mean, some of you know, the other day he said to me, he wanted me to come downstairs, and I said, I don't want to go yet. I'm having a good time, don't want to go. So I hung about for 10 minutes or so. In that 10 minutes, there was a phone call. I got down the stairs to hear Joyce say, would you ring later? And I, I should have gone down, there was a phone call. It's that fine, there's no condemnation about this, but it's the fine tuning. As we behold him and are changed into his likeness, so he beholds us. We are his joy and his delight. But he does want to bring us, as the next conference, I think, the next school we'll be talking about, which is in the hands of God, from that Nepios to Huios. You're familiar with this. There are four stages of growth. Uh, there's the Nepios, which is the child without speech. The Technon, uh, which is the young child, five, six, seven, eight. Um, the Paidon, which is lads, which is what the, the word that um, uh, Jesus so often used uh, for, the, for the boys, the disciples. He called them lads. And then there's the Hueus, the fully mature son. Uh, that is the process from Abba to Father, from Daddy to Pater, if you like, that we go through. God wants to bring us into maturity. So often we have stayed on this outside edge because we have not known there is more. But he's beckoning us to come in to maturity. He wants us to grow and to grow up and to see things in the reality that they are. We were talking over the breakfast table this morning really about spiritual warfare and the upsurge in, in the danger in the toy box, if you like. There was a book years ago, something like Peril in the Toy Box or something like that, about how there was coming a flood of the demonic right early on. You get it in the cot, Teletubbies. You get these things right from the moment the baby is born, the enemy's in there with it. And it's a sign of the times that we're in. I don't know where your theology takes you, but I know in my heart that we are, well, God has told me, we're at the consummation of the church age. We are right on the edge of the last of the last. And there's going to be the most humongous battle. So what we're being prepared for is a battle. Because we're caught up in a global battle, whether we like it or not. When I went to bed last night, oh boy. <laughs> I thought I must be doing something good. I got the precursor of a migraine, then someone stuck a chopper through the top of my head. And I just said, Father, thank you. It's good stuff. I'm not having that. I had a sore throat yesterday afternoon. Joy said to pray for me. That's gone. I mean, you're in a battle. And the battle shows itself up in physical things. That's the way it does with us. Uh, if you hear much of Graham Cook, he'll say the enemy always attacks him in his head, but he doesn't live there, so that's okay. <laughs> we shall learn about not living in that place, because if you live in here, you cannot retire into your spirit man. You have to be able to go back into yourself, into your spirit man, and find the rest and peace of God. If Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I you. The peace that he gives us is past his understanding. So we have to, is that dichotomy, is that the right word? We have to labour to enter his rest. We can't just sit there. It does, it, it, he's given us a will to exert it in some particular way. Um, so, there we are.
sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and next a plug for the next school <laughs> to get that part. So um, can you turn me off the tick? Please. So in a minute we're going to do a little um, Lectio Divina, which I sort of explained about uh, a little bit just now. Um, but for just for a moment, I feel I want to just move across to... It's in the back of this little book. Any of you have got it? I think I've got about one copy left. Some of the girls have got Beholding and Becoming, haven't mm. you? Um, in the back of it, it talks about lamentation, which is a form of worship, and it's a powerful form of worship because it is when everything is falling about us like at the end of Habakkuk Lo, the fig tree doesn't that blossom mm -hmm. and there be no fruit upon the vine the produce of the olive file there's no cattle in the stall That's everything so is just about doing it you know mm -hmm. yet mm -hmm. will I rejoice mm -hmm. there is a though this is happening yet mm -hmm. I will rejoice and we can't ignore the fact that circumstances come into our lives and we'll be walking in denial and unreality if we do that. And our first recourse is always got to be to him. I did this the other day because it was all falling down around our ears when everything happened with Joyce. And, and I had no way of knowing how it was going to work out. Still don't. And I said, Lord, I am making a choice. Here comes your will to worship you in this. Though these things are all true. And I had two or three circumstances right in my face. It was over the Christmas time. Merry Christmas. We had such a dose of stuff actually on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Boxing Day as to be, it was, had to be God. Uh, because we were closeted here with nobody but Him. And He allowed this external pressure to come upon us in all sorts of ways. So when you get like that, you can either have hysterics in the corner, or you can do this. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And one of the things that came to me this morning was, um, I don't know the song, but Graham quotes it. It's Kev Kevin Prosh, some of you may know. Kiss the sun. When you've been broken, broken to pieces, and your heart begins to faint because you don't understand, and when there's nothing to reap from the ashes and you can't even walk onto the fields of praise, I bow down and kiss the sun. Oh, I bow down and kiss the sun. When the rock falls, falls upon you and you get no music for the pain, you open the windows, the windows of heaven. Then you hold me and crush me like a rose. Let the praise of the Lord be in my mouth. Let the praise of the Lord be in my mouth. Though you slay me, I will trust you. Though you slay me, I will trust you. Notice the exercise of the will in there. I w where else do we go when it's all falling down? Which it will. And what happened to me this morning, you know, uh, when I sat down there to be at my time with the Lord and to just to see what he wanted this morning, uh, my first thing that I usually do is to write my journal up from the day before. And I'd written a little bit in there and put it down. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said to me, as I said, do you need help? And I just burst into tears. And what he does then, uh, he aligns himself and says to you, I will help you worship in this situation. I will help you do what your spirit most wants to do. Your soul might want to have a pity party, have a panic. As Graham says, fear always brings his two mates, anxiety and panic, together with him. They travel in threes. But you get to choose. I had a, a thought as I dropped off to sleep last night, and I'm actually putting this into the notes on Thursday. Just as I was dropping off, I had this thought. I could choose to be fearful. And all I would do then is to distress myself, have a low-grade anxiety, 
make that distress other people. But I can be fearful, um, but it won't affect the situation. I can worry about it, but that won't affect the outcome. So it's a bit wasted. The outcome will be the outcome, whatever it is. Are you following my logic here? The outcome will be the outcome, whatever it is. So I'm going to choose to push fear away. That was the way my thinking went. And I woke up and I remembered this this morning and tried to untangle it and write it in my journal and get it in the notes for Thursday. Because look, there's a principle here. Um, Joyce and I always say that if we've got something that's bothering us and something then comes on top of that, that's what makes us snappy. Because there's an underlying something there. You're not at peace. So the first person that puts their foot out of line goes, hey, have your head off. So the thing is, of course, to get at that underlying thing that's giving you the anxiety and boot it out. Because it's actually, the anxiety is going to give us nothing. All it's going to do is give you an ulcer, I should think, at the end of the day. Because what I realised as I was dropping off to sleep was it was going to affect my physical body, that. If resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness can affect your body, then so can fear and worry and anxiety. I mean, that's the way it works. We were not created, we're not built to take anxiety. When God built us, he didn't build our bodies for that. So, therefore, we get a reaction in our physical body. Usually, when I'm under stress or anything like that, I get a huge red wheels under my boobs. I'll say to Joyce, look at that, what do you think of that? Because inside, something is coming out and it will show. I've been through quite a lot over since Christmas of, of anxious things. I must be dealing with it differently because there ain't no, there ain't no outward show of it. So it, it's just occurred to me that that there is nothing. My my mother and my father both suffered from. If there was an agitation, you could see my mother doing this. You know, there would, and there there would be a, a patch of skin problem because of what was going on on the inside. So it affects us. So when God tells us to come into a place of rest and peace, it's for our good. Not only can we operate on a different level when we're operating from a place of peace, but we are more peaceful to be with. Mm -hmm. And our peace actually affects and invades other people. So while I'm up there this morning, having made this great a decision not to be concerned about a thing, I looked out and the Lord said, don't look at the water in the garden, forget it. Because the last time we came to this stage where there was so much water, I was terrified. I really was. I had, I've got a very good imagination. The medway's over there somewhere. I saw it rolling in. <laughs> I'm thinking we're going to float away. You know? You see, you can't have a thought and get away with it with the Lord. So what's he doing? He does it again. How are you going to go through it this time? I'm going to ignore it. You said, the water's up to you, Father. It will not come near me, Psalm 91 says. So there you go. So I'm in a place of peace there this morning, typing up my notes for whatever it was that he wanted to say this morning. And he suddenly said to me, joy and jubilation, those are for Joyce. So I wrote them in pencil, meant to come down and say that went straight out of head, didn't it? Down at the breakfast table, just suddenly realised, Joyce, I've got to just proclaim joy and jubilation over you. Because you go from petition, prayer and petition to um, proclamation and declaration. You come to the place where instead of praying for something, you declare it. So you're not pleading anymore. You're, you, God moves you in that place and he says, now stop whinging about it, declare it, will you? Do you see the difference? And he wants, he has got so much for us. We are so silly if we drag our heels because he wants to us to do these greater works that Jesus talked about and we were talking about yesterday he wants us to do those with all his heart but he's not going to give it to us when we're wet behind the ears and wouldn't know one end of a musket from the other because we'll shoot each other you know we need to be trained I always say he's not going to give a Lamborghini if you haven't mastered a three wheeler you know we have to go through these stages of growth to get daddy's checkbook and then he will say to you, release a let there be word. But you don't release that word until he says so. When he says, speak that, you know it's going to happen. So I go and I pray over Joyce, joy and jubilation over Joyce this morning. That's all. 
No great long prayer, no fanfare. I've just got to pray for joy, joy and jubilation, all right? Prayed for her yesterday because I really feel now that she prays for me, but I feel that there's a twist and I need to pray for her. So I put hands on her, find myself prophesying, don't I? I can't remember a word of it. I mean, I don't actually move in direct prophecy an awful lot, but I think that probably the time is coming when, like Graham, there'll be just like one prophetic word coming out because I sense in my spirit that is what is happening. Why? Because of the illumination of my mind and the responsiveness to the Holy Spirit, which I guard. That is why I guard what I watch where I go, what I listen to, what I read, because these are my gates. People will, hey, I've got my old glasses on. People will come here and say, you know, you're a bit fanatical. It doesn't have to be like that. No, it doesn't. But if you want to come into the most holy place, experience the power and presence of God, in that place, everything else gets burnt off. It's got to go. You cannot live like the rest of the world lives and see the power of God in action. It just doesn't work. Jesus, it says to us, doesn't he, come out from among them and be separated unto me. That's not that we're not supposed to, to be amongst the people out there. We are. But in our hearts, we are separated unto God, listening to the Holy Spirit, moving where he tells us to move. And when we put our hands out to pray for someone, something's going to happen. A question for you. How much expectation do you have when you pray for someone that God is going to answer you? Do you pray with certainty? The way to pray with certainty is to hear what he's saying, pray it and know. That is the way our prayers, he wants them. Every time, no more dartboard prayers. No more throwing it and hoping that it hits. This is why we learn to be still and wait. As we wait, we're illuminated. As we wait, we hear what he wants us to pray. Pray this, will you, because I want to do that. Oh, okay then. How do I do that? Uh, many of you have known the story of my son some years ago. He was... Um, flying back from somewhere like Prague or somewhere and it was a day like this and I was in a panic about him flying because the weather was appalling and I was really worried about him I prayed all day uphill down dale I could not let go of the agitation I kept praying 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 in the end, I thought, this, is this, I'm not hitting the spot, Lord, here. Have you ever prayed like that? You know, I'll try this one. I oh, know, wait a minute. Uh, how about that? Oh, that's a 20. That's no good. I wanted it in the middle. <laughs> or whatever it is on the dartboard. I went, oh, mm. So in the end, I said, Father, what do I pray? Good question. Pray that he will fly above the wind. I said, what? One liner. I thought, I didn't know you could. So I said, Father, please, could he, pray above, could he fly above the wind? Absolute peace. About 20 past seven, the phone rang. Hello, Mum, just to let you know I'm back. Sweet little flight. Funny, though, he said. As soon as we took off, the pilot said, I'm going into a steep climb because we're going to fly above the wind. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, darling. Pray for that, which I hadn't said that. <laughs> <laughs> but you see what I mean? We can save ourselves so much wasted time, anguish, you know, I mean, tearing the clothes and sackcloth and ashes, and I wasn't hitting it. So I come into the presence of the Lord this morning, and you, you know, I wanted to worship the other day, and He said, Pick up your laptop. And, hesitated with that for a minute and then it cracked me up um, it's finding out what he wants to do what I dislike the most I won't say hate because that's too strong a word and I don't hate anything is when he says what do you want and I'm thinking you don't want to know what I want because <laughs> what do you want Lord no what do you want mm. And I'm thinking, what's the very best? I haven't got a very wide imagination set when it comes to the medway coming up the garden. Um, 
and the and the sewage system overflowing. I had a good couple of hours worrying really about that on Sunday night. I mean, you know. Uh, so when he says, what do you want? And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, that's not a fair question. Well, what do you want? What would you like in this situation? And I'm sitting there scratching my head. So I say the best I can, and that's okay, and I'll do that then, you know. This is the relationship. This is all about in the face of God. The bread of the presence. Isn't that lovely? The bread of the face. I just It does something inside to me. The bread of the face. His face, looking on every heart. Doesn't it do something to you? Knowing that this great God who we serve is individually gazing on you, on us. There's never a moment when he isn't. Don't take time off and say, oh, it's coffee break. I just... Uh, Leave them to get on with it for a minute. If he did that, we'd, we'd just implode, you know. That would be that. So, thank you. Start with a little prayer then and uh, pick up. Oh, Father. Father, we thank you. Lord, we worship your name. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for putting that hunger in our hearts to know you. Father, my prayer is that you will put a hunger and thirst in our hearts to learn how to rest and be in peace. That, Lord, the great priority of our relationship with you will be to learn to live in rest and peace. That we may see from your perspective, that we may be in that place to receive your touch, your delight, your passion. Father, help us to allow our spirit to rise and rule over our soul. Help us, Lord, to live in that place of rest and peace with you, so that, Father, we will become people of peace and bring peace wherever we go, that peace would reign and rule in our hearts, Father, that in your rest we would learn how to turn inwardly and behold you in our spirit, instead of continually striving after you with our soul. Thank you, Father, for awakening our spirit. And, Lord, as we move on this next leg of the journey, help us not to have a destination in mind, just you. And whatever you're training us for, whatever you're doing, help us to enjoy your presence in it. Help us to enjoy the struggle because you're with us in it. Thank you for being the beginning and the end for us. We bless your name. Lord, we pray, teach us to rest that we may behold your face and be changed into your image. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I hope you found it useful this morning doing your Lectio Divina. Um, twisted the program round. Interesting seeing it from God's point of view, beholding and becoming us. I thought that was quite a switch or a spin, as Mick would say. So, beholding and becoming, this is the session that I had planned to do this morning. <laughs> God had other ideas. Brilliant. God's all about habitation. He inhabits the praises of his people, it says in Psalm 22.3. And his desire is that he has a people for himself, and he doesn't want to keep visiting us. He wants to inhabit. This little journal that... Uh, I was showing you this morning of Graham's Beholding and Becoming that has a subtitle uh, The World is Waiting for a Different Kind of Christian Will It Be You? Mm -hmm. And again I would say if you buy these journals don't be misled by their size because mm -hmm. uh, the content is incredible mm -hmm. and I actually find that the more I go on the less I can take in the more I have to think about stuff whereas before years ago I would be gobbling up tapes right left and centre and saying what's next have you got any more what's new now I'm finding that um, I can only take a little bit of the time and I have to stop and think about it because the depth of what I'm listening to is taking me deeper in God so I can't skim over the surface someone said to me oh yeah I read that book in an evening it's only little isn't it mm -hmm. 
Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Come back to it again, eh? Because <laughs> that's the way of it with Graham stuff like A.W. Tozer. You look at Tozer's stuff and you get stuck on a sentence. You just cannot, you can't move on because he takes you deeper. Prophetic man again or who's a prophet. So if you've got these books at home, revisit. When we started yesterday, we looked at the fact that we're in a new era in God and looked at having a new song to sing, even praise to our God. And we looked at the fact that the most, the single most important thing in our lives is how we see him, and I threw out loads of questions. So today we've been really focusing on beholding and becoming, and we become what we behold. You know, some people get to look like their dog, don't they? Sorry about that. Have you ever noticed that? Hopefully people don't get to look like their horse, but some people get to look like their dog, and some couples even get to look like each other because they're so much one flesh. You talk to one, you think you're talking to the other because they are so alike. So God is taking us on a journey into his great heart, and we'll need to know the Holy Spirit as our personal trainer for this. He and he alone holds the key to our journey. And we need to understand how to keep in step with him. So it's a take your partners, please, for the next dance. Uh, some of you know that uh, dream I had some years ago now, where I was in a crowded uh, railway station waiting room, and the, the people dishing out the tickets were over there, but because I'm short, there were crowds of people in front of me. And I looked at the clock, and it says something like ten past eight, and I thought, I've missed the jolly train, and I'm nowhere near getting a ticket. All of a sudden, from the front, someone said, it can't go till he gets there, and this man appeared from within the crowd, a very tall, slim, wide shoulders, in a navy blue uniform, trousers, but a very tight-fitting jacket and brass buttons right the way down that made him look even wider at the top, you know. Uh, he'll take you. And then, all of a sudden, someone's passing a coin from person to person over the top of the crowd, put it in my hand and said, for the journey. Mm. I thought, how kind, mm. so she can get a cup of tea. I thought, oh, this is so kind. So before I knew where I was, I'm out, uh, and this man is behind me, holding me round the waist, and we're trotting along the road. And I'm chatting away to him as we're going along, talking to him about deliverance. He seemed to understand all about that. And in turning around like that, put my foot in a puddle. At that point, I looked down and I got my little cotton daps on, um, creamy colour with a nautical symbol. I thought, oh, let's mess them up. But as I looked at it, this puddle, this greasy puzzle just, puddle just rolled off of my shoe and left them except just pristine. And we didn't stop. I tried, I thought, oh, that's good. And then the next minute, we're at the foot of a hill, and it's very steep, and I'm thinking, I'm never going to get up that. And we were at the top. <laughs> and I woke up. The Holy Spirit. It was him. Um, I've once experienced him wrapping his arms around me, and that is an experience I'll never forget. I was in uh, Windchime, the little ministry room there, and there were two people with me. They'd come, uh, but they felt they needed to talk to me, sit me down and tell me that I was way over the top and that really I've got to lighten up and just stop all this business. So I just sat there and suddenly I felt a pair of arms mm. around me, just mm. hugging me like this, and I just sat there being <laughs> hugged. <laughs> Okay. Mm -hmm. just listening to what they were saying and just enjoying the Holy Spirit sort of saying don't take any notice just, just it's okay I mean it was the most brilliant it's the sort of thing you never forget Graham Cook talks about things like that experiences he's had of being held by the Holy Spirit in Satan's strategy room and watching Satan getting apoplectic because nothing was working chopping the heads off of his principalities and powers because they weren't getting the job done if they persecute the church they get stronger if they leave them alone they still chase them around and put their dishes were losing the thing and he talked then about the Holy Spirit like that absolutely amazing 
And the other thing I've heard just the once, and there is nothing like it, is God's chuckle. Will you look at that? And that was when I was faced up with Jezebel. A girlie with a Jezebelic spirit lover art, and it was coming out with all this stuff. And I was sat in the corner of the sofa there, she was sat over there, and I'm just again sat there, relaxed, legs crossed, and I heard God go, Will you look at that? <laughs> <laughs> that's all I heard was this laughter when you really need it he just gives you what you need you know for that moment it's, it's absolutely amazing he'll never leave us or forsake us so he's taking us into a journey into his great heart and we'll need to know the Holy Spirit as our personal trainer for this because he and he alone holds those keys and we need to understand how to keep in step with him and go at his pace. He's the one who trains us to sit in the presence of God. And I don't want to show of hands, but how many of us actually find it particularly difficult to sit still and do nothing? We have church on the, uh, here on a Sunday morning, first Sunday of each month, prophesied by Carol Shires some two or three years ago, every time she came saying, is it happening yet? No, it isn't. Go away. Because it's not something I ever, 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 ever wanted. But it's happening. Because God has told us to do it. So we have a, an informal gathering here on the first Sunday of each month. And what I realised we practice here on for that hour or however long is contemplative worship. Because we have no worship group. God has said just put... Uh, a low level of music on and so we contemplate him we're practicing contemplative worship um, and someone said to me after the last meeting I found that so hard to sit still for an hour and if you look up you can see people sort of going I'm looking around and getting distracted because they really don't quite know what to do with themselves because we are people of the soul wants to be doing something doesn't it and there are all sorts of ways of worshipping God, you know, music, dance, silent adoration, lamentation. We touched on that this morning. And with lamentation there is a though and a yet. Though all these things are true, yet will I praise him. Job thirteen fifteen. though he slay me, yet will I trust him. As we said this morning, kissing his hand in the midst of trouble, worship. And we lack imagination when we stick to the same thing, of, of same way of doing things. Um, we've started out with an hour of waiting on God because that's the way it's just naturally seemed to have fallen into. But you know you need stamina to stay in worship. Um, the ability to worship comes in waves. Sometimes you have to sit down for a while until the Holy Spirit comes on you again. I learnt that at one of Graham's conferences at... Um, Pilgrim Hall where we would have extended times of worship and I thought there was something wrong with me because I just could not keep going and suddenly Graham stood up and said it comes in waves if you're feeling you need to sit down sit down till you feel the Holy Spirit move on you you see we cannot even worship unless he gives it to us and uh, we were worshipping maybe the last night for three or four hours um, exhausting in the natural he has doing all sorts of things and uh, one of his sayings was uh, the last thing you hear is the sound of the exhausted drummer falling through his drum kit <laughs> <laughs> absolutely amazing so if we're going to behold and become we need that discipline of stillness and rest we need to allow the Holy Spirit to train us to sit in the presence of God to train us to behold God because when you behold Jesus, you're transformed into his image. Um, so this morning I've got you slowing down, hopefully, and letting those words, you know, uh, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, mm -hmm. therefore we will not fear. And Joyce and I were thinking about it the other day, even though the earth be moved mm -hmm. and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, mm -hmm. I thought, <laughs> we've got a bit of rain. I don't know about the earth moving and mountains falling into them. <laughs> got a way to go so you're here because you are actually dissatisfied with where you are with God and there's a hunger in your heart for more but there's this frustration as well like I've got to press in 
And 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 18 shows us that God is taking us on a journey into glory. We just have a look at it. He's talking about the basis of the new covenant. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 18. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even when what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of that glory it excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel couldn't look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were hardened, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I'll go to verse 18. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Well, that's what the purpose is. God does things to us and in us when we're just sitting there that we cannot imagine. And it begins when we allow the Holy Spirit to train us to sit in the presence of God, to train us to behold God. Because when you behold Jesus, you are transformed into his image. There's something dynamic and wonderful about the presence of God that when you get into his presence, when you touch his heart, when you feel his heart beat for you, something happens on the inside and change begins to take place. We need to cut right through the whole distortion of performance Christianity and get back to the heartbeat of God. But you're nothing unless God touches you, nothing unless he speaks to you, Nothing unless he initiates something in your life. Because so often for so many of us, our doing has taken the place of our being. Psalm 46 that we looked at begins with an earthquake and ends with, be still. Mm -hmm. God's just correcting that distortion in our lives and bringing us back to a place of learning how to behold his face. Looking into the face of God, change takes place. Because every time he is present, he brings a hunger with him. God's hungry for you. Hungry for you to know him. Hungry for you to be where he is. There is a yearning in his heart for each of us to come into his presence. That's why worship is so important. When you're in the presence, worship just happens. The angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There's something about the presence that transforms us into worshippers, irrespective of if we feel like it or not. We become caught up with him and his purposes, and we lose that earthly perspective and gain a heavenly one. God is restoring temple worship in these days, and that temple worship will go hand in hand with synagogue worship, which is what we have right now. In the days of the temple, people went to the temple for three reasons. To worship God, to make an offering, and to pray. In the synagogue, people come to hear the word of the Lord, receive ministry, and have fellowship. So many different forms of worship. And as we said already, lamentation, probably the most powerful form of worship. Contemplative worship, probably the second most powerful form. Different worship, different frequency. We're very one-dimensional in worship. We're stuck on the same frequency. What we like, 
on this level, this style, and we only tune in to what we like. But we need to tune in to God in different ways. We need both temple and synagogue worship. It's not a question of either or. We need times when we can come into the presence of God and minister to Him so that He can touch us. That's what happens on a Sunday morning. It's a gathering unto Him to minister to Him. Not to go to get something from Him, but to touch Him and praise Him and worship Him. And in the doing of that, He touches us. Let me touch you, He says. Worship draws us into the presence of God. So often we're locked into preference. That's all right, so long as we don't change preference into prejudice. God allows us preferences, not prejudices. Style isn't the issue. Frequency is the issue, and I don't mean frequency by how often, I mean frequency by tuning, like your radio. Being tuned into the different aspects that are in God's heart. He's unveiling our face. He's taking the veil away and he's going to show us himself. He's letting us into the Holy of Holies so we can begin to behold him and look at his face. Worship is for life, not just meetings. There is a transformation that comes through beholding the face of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is going to teach us about personal, face-to-face adoration with God. Worship that flows from a place of rest, a place of beholding, a place of adoration, a place of confidence. We've experienced worship where the Holy Spirit has taught us to make God the object and the focus of our love, which is brilliant. Now we're going to experience worship where the touch of God can come and bring us to a whole new level, where his pleasure in us will so energise us that we'll find ourselves doing things in worship we've never thought of before. You'll just want to do anything to please him, just to bless him. Everything is his scene, even if it isn't yours. You'll do anything because you'll just want to stay there. One of the things that he frequently used to get me to do and doesn't do now because it was an obedience issue, I expect, was to let my hair down. Uh, and the first time I met Chris Larkin, um, she was behind me apparently. And when God said to me, let your hair down, and, I, and it was thick and long in those days, and I just let it down and she said, something broke as you let your hair down. I mean, we say, oh, let your hair down, don't we? Meaning, let it go, let go. And so there were times when God would just tell me to do that. And people used to get to say, when Beryl lets her hair down, what out, watch out, something's going to happen. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit is teaching us to abide and abide in worship. Yeah, I need to tell you why it's long. It's long because it's a vow that I made when I got born again, because of the way in which I was born again. And I said I would never cut my hair. And apart from a little while earlier on where I didn't realise that when you made a vow you kept it and God was very gracious I tried to straighten it up a bit but I tried to do it by pulling it round and going like that well of course when I swung it round the back it was <laughs> like that so I had to get it straightened and God taught me then about what vows were all about and how you don't make them rashly and what it meant to him so this is a sign of a Nazarite this here is a Nazarite vow that I've got on my head here. I'm not going to cut my hair um, because that's unto him. So that's a little bit of explanation about a Nazarite vow there. As is the um, issue with drinking. He's asked me not to drink again till I drink in the kingdom with him. So that's okay. That's whatever he asks, you give him it, hey. So the Holy Spirit is teaching us how to abide and abide in worship, how to stay in that place. Um, there's a stamina that you need to gear up to in worship, to dwell in the presence of God and rest in the presence of God, to lay back in the everlasting arms so that the transformation can take place. We're coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you, Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about our style. It's not about what we like. It's not about anything to do with that. 
Worship is about getting touched by God, coming into His presence and doing whatever the Holy Spirit wants you to do at that point in time. And you can only give corporately what you're giving individually. So it's about you doing whatever the Holy Spirit wants in worship and you entering in with a full heart and there's no such thing as style. The issue is, do you want to be under the touch of God's hand? Then you do what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. How about devotional times, what we are pleased to call our quiet times? We need a shock to our system about our quiet times. We've tried everything but rest. Come in, rush in. Bless this, bless that, bless me, Lord. I've got this shopping list in, out, and God's just taken, drawing a breath, and we've gone. I'll catch him tomorrow. True discipline of the Spirit is to learn how to be touched by Him, how to sit at His feet as Mary did, and simply be loved for who you are. This, as you know, since we've been here, has happened two consecutive mornings with me. I've gone and sat down, and the Holy Spirit touched me the day before not today, yesterday, pick up your laptop, I want to speak to you, and today again, can I help you? Do you need help? That's it, bawling my eyes out. Touch of God on my life. Don't know how you expected him to touch you, but that is the sort of thing that will happen. You will suddenly feel your heart touched, and you'll quite possibly cry, because when he touches you, that's the response. It just breaks you down. And devotional time is all about relaxing. You need patience in devotion. The Holy Spirit might well lead you to rest when you've got an agenda to pray. And guess what? The only way you get to pray is if you rest when he wants you to rest and put your prayer on one side. Or he may lead you to study when you just wanted to be with him in a place of rest. Just obey him. That's all we could do because it's the best thing number of times I've had my, what I decided I was going to do distorted till in the end my last words at night were Father, your agenda, your agenda in the morning, Holy Spirit, not mine Zip, go to sleep so it takes patience to sit there quietly so you can begin to distinguish God through all the clutter it takes patience, it takes time you have to be still Sometimes you can't feel the presence of God, so you go looking. And God says, no, you just have to be still. Ever been in the place where you've sort of tried to attract his attention? <laughs> I've been in the place where I've felt so not right that I've got up to walk away. And the Holy Spirit said, where are you going? And I've sat down, and he says, uh, where are you going? <laughs> 